0: This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. The Supreme Court's curious ruling on the Affordable Care Act has left many people wondering if the federal government's taxing power has been unleashed to compel people to buy or die. Ilya Shapiro, senior fellow in constitutional studies at the Cato Institute, argues the court did no such thing. Randy Barnett, who I think is more positive on the Obamacare ruling than a lot of uh, libertarians and conservatives makes this note, which is Obamacare is a tax because the Supreme Court rewrote the law to make it one. The Supreme Court did not uphold Obamacare's individual insurance mandate as a tax. And that is a very subtle distinction. uh, As you see it, what does that mean?
1: Uh, it's it's very subtle for purposes of, of the law, and lots of lawyers will spill lots of ink in, in briefs going forward. But what it means for practical purposes is another way of saying that Chief Justice Roberts rewrote the law to enable to find it – constitutional. He didn't find it constitutional as is. He did not adopt the arguments made about the taxing power that the government made or that uh, liberal law professors made. He essentially uh, reconstrued what was uh, in the statutory text in order to save it using his conception of the taxing power.
0: Specifically, uh, he talks about the size of the tax relative to the activity that the federal government would like you to be involved in in this case, purchasing insurance. And in reading the language, I thought it was just sort of wishy-washy a mealy mouth saying, well, if it's not too big, the tax, then it's fine. But if it is big, then it's unconstitutional. That's
1: exactly right. If the tax gets so large that a rational person would actually choose, quote unquote, to do the thing that Congress wants it to do um, rather than pay this tax, then it's unconstitutional. Then it becomes punitive or coercive. Um, I I mean, look, uh, at this point, I think we're all saying that – and I'm not sure Randy disagrees with this – that Roberts tried to thread the needle, tried to uphold the individual mandate without expanding Congress's commerce power. That's the dilemma he set for himself. And this is – probably the best he could do. I mean, I, I don't think the opinion holds up, but if we're trying to take it at its face and apply it to the future of what Congresses can do, which is what we policy analysts should be doing, then you're right. Um, the next time there's a, uh, a tax on some sort of inactivity, let's say not buying a Prius will now be taxed. If that has a 50 or maybe even a $500 tax attached to it, uh, that's okay. But if it's anywhere near approaching the actual cost of a Prius, uh, or even close to it, say $5,000, Let alone forty or fifty, then that becomes punitive or coercive, and will, under this standard at least, on its face, be struck
0: down. That leaves lawyers, as you say, in a position of trying to point out differences and similarities. And uh, Robert's goal is here to make the differences seem. Much more stark in any case than the similarities would be.
1: I think so. And I think there's a parallel with the court's spending clause analysis in terms of the Medicaid expansion. They said that the government could incentivize, the federal government could incentivize the states to uh, change their regulations and adopt uh, different programs, but it could not coerce them into doing so. And similarly here, using the taxing power, uh, you could provide, the government can provide an incentive. That is, if you don't want to pay this. You know, $50, $500 tax, you can do that other thing, whether it's buying broccoli or insurance or Prius or installing solar panels. Uh, But it's not going to be a a serious uh, approximation of the cost of doing that thing, which uh, without uh, a serious cost, no rational person would be doing.
0: And here again, it just seems like whatever – he hasn't even chosen a number. He's just chosen a rough relation between the cost of the activity – and the cost of the tax associated with not doing the activity. In any case, it's arbitrary, right?
1: It is. But um, he didn't exactly... There there are a number of factors to consider. Just like in the Medicaid uh, expansion, the the new spending clause standards, there are multiple factors about uh, the, the, the size of the funding and whether it completely transforms the program or not. Similarly here, Um, uh, there's no bright line. It's just uh, if the tax is really onerous and burdensome, um, then it won't be upheld. And this, again, is just looking at the practical effects without actually evaluating the opinion and seeing that Roberts also made up, uh, invented some sort of tax that has never been seen before and is not a duty or impost or income tax or excise or direct tax. So I'm not sure where in the Constitution is the basis for it, but leaving that Issue aside, for practical purposes, um, you know, I guess we'll know it when we see it. When we, when, when there's a really big dollar sign attached to a potential tax, uh, that's when the uh, the real litigation will hit the road and
0: potentially reach the Supreme Court. As Randy Barnett has pointed out, the tax holding—that is, the power related to Congress's ability to tax—was uh, a weak one. On what basis could somebody bring a challenge to even this holding? And and have it revealed by the Supreme Court future that, oh, well, that was ridiculous and doesn't make any sense?
1: Well, I think Michael Cannon is on to something in a blog post uh, soon after the decision because, as I just said, uh, Roberts did not identify the exact place in the Constitution where he found authorization for this particular tax or indeed identify what it was. He said it wasn't a direct tax and it wasn't this and it wasn't that. Um, it's it's unclear whether it's even a legal tax. So rather than challenging the individual mandate or saying it violates the taxing power, uh, accept that all right, uh, this is using the taxing power, but Congress can't do anything under the taxing power and, and effectively penalizing or sorry taxing inactivity. Uh, isn't possible. The closest thing is an excise tax, which is a tax on uh, an activity, which Robert said this was not, Uh, uh, a, a privilege or a luxury or a transaction. I mean, the closest approximation, in my view, is that this is some sort of privilege of not complying or not choosing to do something that the government wants you to do, and I'm not trying to be cute, but I'm trying to you know phrase this into accepted tax constitutional tax terminology. Uh, if that's not what it is, I really don't see what it could be, and therefore you could have a court uh, agreeing. I mean, not this court. I mean, Roberts would not overrule himself, uh, but in some future occasion, saying yes, this is not a tax that's uh, found uh, in the Constitution. So even if it's somehow the use of the taxing power, it's not a constitutional use
0: of it. Ilya Shapiro is a senior fellow in constitutional studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at cato.org.